Well, we, before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai, lehenu melech ha'alam, asher kitsheno b'mitzvotav, etzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Last week we completed one book, and so now we're starting a new book. We're reading from Devarim, which is in English known as Deuteronomy, the fifth, fifth book of Moses. And this is a recounting um, by Moses of important details in front of Israel, recalling the details of the journey, the exodus, and so forth, and in some cases bringing up new details as well. It's good to review. That's one of the things we learn. It's good to remind ourselves of what's happened, both the challenges we faced and the victories we had as well, the times when we did well and the times when we didn't. Now, there's an interesting theme that's in the readings and the Torah portion this week, it's, it has to do with food and mercy. And there are some lessons to be learned that I think are profoundly important that are echoed by the prophetic reading and also by the teachings of Yeshua. So the Lord provided for Israel miraculously with food. What was that food? Manna which could be roughly translated as, what is it? And it was a miraculous provision that was provided so that Israel had nutrition the entire time of the wilderness journey. The Lord said he provided for the basic necessities, that there was nothing that Israel needed that Israel didn't have. So that's an interesting perspective, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I like variety in food. And there were some people who, who just said, I'm sick of this. They wanted, wanted to go back to Egypt. And you may have your own preferences about variety as well that could cause you to feel like this. If you don't get the variety you want, you're not getting what you need. But the Lord said, I provided for what you needed. So it turns out, you know, I mean, think of a baby. A baby who's like being breastfed gets one choice. Right? And it's a healthy choice. Left or right. Left or right. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> So the Lord provided for the necessities, the basic necessities of life in the wilderness. But there were times when Israel was on this journey that they actually needed to pass through hostile territory or through difficult places, and they were instructed to buy food and water. Isn't that interesting? So this teaches us something. The Lord says, I'm going to give you manna but during the time you're going from here to there, you're going to need to pay for the water and food you eat, whatever that is. You're going to need to pay for it. Sometimes the, the lands, the people of the lands were not welcoming, and sometimes they refused even to show just the most uh, 
common of decencies, which is to provide for people as they're passing through. Sometimes provision comes through supernatural means and sometimes through natural means. And when the Lord makes a shift, sometimes people don't want to make the shift. We get used to one thing and we say, that's the way it's going to be. We quote what the Lord said before that we got used to, and then we say, that's the way it's got to be right now. But there are moments when the Lord said to Israel, I'm going to tell you it's time to move. That's when it's time to move. And I'm going to show you because the fire at night and the cloud by day will move, and that's when you move. It doesn't matter whether you've been there for a short time or a long time, whether you like the place or you didn't like the place. When I move, you move. That's not easy to do, is it? Sometimes God has his sense of timing that's so different from our sense of timing. Sometimes we get used to God working one way, and then we want to keep him in a box where he only can work that way. Maybe you've gone through hard times financially, and provision comes at the last minute, you know, just in the nick of time, and you think that should be normal. And so when the Lord starts saying, now I want you to start saving some money so that you have it in advance, you think, I rebuke that thought. Because it's not what I'm accustomed to. He may say, you are a good saver, but I want you to trust me for supernatural provision on this thing. It's hard to learn a really important fact about God. He's the boss. And when he decides to do something one way, that's the way that is going to go well. So Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 28, just one verse is illustrative. Israel was told to say this, you'll sell me food to eat for money and give me water to drink for money. I only want to pass through. Isn't that a simple, straight statement? That's what I want you to do. And sometimes the kings of the land said, okay. And sometimes they said, absolutely not. But I want you to think about this. Because it's a change of gears for Israel to not be eating the manna or drinking from the supernatural provision of water, it's a change of gears. Some people think it doesn't require faith. But I can tell you this, when God changes gears, it still requires faith. And it especially requires faithfulness. And you know, one of the ways of defining faithfulness is it's obedience in action. Where God says, do it this way, don't do it any other way, do it this way. And being faithful means that we say, yes, sir. Some of us were those kinds of kids that always said, why? Any, anybody here besides me like that? Just a few. Wow. Either some of you are reluctant <laughs> to fess up, or there is a very compli unusually compliant group of people. <laughs> we should get your parents in here and your siblings, yeah. Yeah. But sometimes, not sometimes, it was my norm to say, why? Why should we do something? 
Well, when I was a parent, I, I learned how to deal with that uh, with our kids. And when they would say why, I'd say, if, if you're asking and what you really mean is no, and you're using why to say no, you're not going to do it, I'm not going to tell you why. But if you're open to do it, and you want me to explain a little bit more, I'm perfectly willing to do that. So which is it? And then I'd find out. And sometimes it was just the fake. You know, why meant, no, I'm not going to do it. And then we had the battle of the wills. Pardon? Sometimes they would fess up that it was a no, and sometimes they'd deny it, but it was. And other times, they had sincere questions and they needed to understand. And so you learn as a parent um, to give good instruction and good information and additional background so that young people can mature. But you want them to learn when you say no, it means no. And when you say yes, do this, it means yes. I remember our son often would ask about something he wanted to do or whatever, and I'd say, well, maybe, we'll talk about it later. And he said, well, I want to know now. And I would say, well, if you want to know now, it's no. If you can wait, we'll see. It's a kind of negotiating, yeah. And there are times when God says now and we say, why? He says now and we say no. He says, do it this way, and we say, it can't be that important. When it comes to food immersed in water, it's interesting, because it's a common theme in this reading today, and yet you may not have noticed that you may have been looking at other details, because there are many important details. But I want to focus on this food and water because if you don't have food and water, it's a big deal. And if you do have food and water, you may not realize how big a deal it is because it may be something you take for granted. Now, the, the, the nations that showed mercy by providing food and water are remembered with appreciation in the scriptures. And Israel is told, you know, don't forget that they showed you mercy. And don't forget the ones that didn't. And through this type of experience, God was teaching Israel, I think, a high-level lesson about what is important to him. It's important to him for us to show mercy to others who are in need of food and water. It's important to him. Now, some people would say, but it's, you know, that doesn't really stir me. Well, if you love God, you want your heart to change to be more like his. If it stirs him, let it stir us. So this theme is also emphasized in the Haftorah reading. You can turn to the first chapter of Isaiah. Starting in verse 11, we'll look at a few verses here. The passage is very interesting because it's a challenge to religious people that you can engage in the correct religious behaviors with the wrong motivation and then you 
eliminate all the value and the merit of those religious behaviors. Because it's not just the behavior that counts, it's the heart that counts. And you can argue and say, well, God said to do it this way, so I'm going to do it this way. But that is actually what the Lord is doing with the people in Isaiah. He's saying, I'm going to tell you what I think about how you're doing the religious things that I told you to do. So starting in verse 11, Isaiah 1, verse 11. Why are all those sacrifices offered to me, says the Lord? And you know what the answer could be? Because you told us to do it. But this is what the Lord said at that time. I'm fed up with burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. That's tough, isn't it? Yes, you come to appear in my presence, but who asked you to do this? Now you got to finish the phrase. Who asked you to do this to trample through my courtyards? In other words, you just, you come, you go through the motions, and you just hurry through it all, and you're missing the point of everything. Stop bringing worthless grain offerings. They're like disgusting incense to me. Rosh Chodesh, the new moon, Shabbat, calling convocations. I can't stand evil together with your assemblies. Yeah, you're keeping the schedule, but it doesn't count. Everything in me hates your Rosh Chodesh and your festival. This is what the Lord says. They're a burden to me. I'm tired of putting up with them. And then in verse 16, here's what to do. Wash yourselves clean. Get your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Stop doing evil learn to do good. Now that idea of learning to do good is a profound idea. It suggests that it's not just your natural inclination, stop doing what you were doing, now do this other thing. It's you've got to learn what's good. And then there's a summary of some things that are being neglected. Seek justice. Oh, wow. I... I, that's not even in my religious vocabulary. Well, the Lord says, it's in mine. Seek justice, relieve the oppressed. Okay, that raises a question. Who's oppressed? We've got to figure that out, and then we've got to help them. Defend orphans, stand up for the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. These are things you're not doing because they're not part of your religious agenda. And the Lord says, get it on your agenda. Now, some people today would say, but that doesn't fit into my political agenda. No problem. Fix your political agenda to conform to your spiritual priorities. And then Isaiah 23 describes the condition 
of those who are unchanged. They give no justice to orphans. The widow's complaint doesn't catch their attention. Then to verse 27. It describes Israel when Israel has a change of heart. Zion will be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But what about the idea that Zion will be redeemed by halakha? If you'll just keep the law according to religious perfection. No. Get your hearts right with God. That's not just a matter of repenting from the sins that you, you know you need to repent of, but repenting of the sins you may not have thought were even sins, to be hard-hearted to the fatherless and the widow and to uh, neglect those who are, who are oppressed because they have no legal standing. It's serious business. Now let's continue with a reading from last week from Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 31. So you can turn there. How many of you incidentally brought Bibles? I congratulate those of you who bring a Bible. You should always bring a Bible. Always. In some shape or form. Digital Bibles are good too. Now this describes some of the values that God has that are not easy for all of us to uh, embrace. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, accompanied by all the angels, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be assembled before him. Okay, all the nations. All the nations. So, not just Jews, not just believers, but all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. The sheep he'll place at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then will, the king will say to those on his right, Come you, whom my father has blessed, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the founding of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. I was an alien. I was an immigrant without any legal standing, and you made me your guest. I needed clothes, and you provided them. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then the people who have done what God wants will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and make you our guest or needing clothes and provide them? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them, Yeah, I tell you, that whenever you did these things for one of the least important of these brothers of mine, you did them for me. That's a word for all the nations that disregarded Israel as they were going through that journey. It was a word for Israel 
whenever Israel disregarded all those who came in need of mercy. It's a word for all believers today who are caught up in eschatological details that are relatively unimportant compared to this, which is ultimately important. In fact, all the nations will have to come to terms with what God considers important. And those that thought they were in right standing because they've been mixed with the blended flock will find out, was their heart really faithful to God? Did they really love what God loved? So Yeshua said this. These are not my words. I mean, I, I am giving you an English translation and he wasn't speaking English. But it's really true that God gives priority to some things that we consider insignificant. And that has to change in us. It has to change in us before it's too late. It has to change in the world before it's too late. Because when it's too late, then there's no hope. Then you're just a goat. That's it. When we lived in Budapest, we sponsored a specific ministry from our congregation there, from our community, to Jewish Holocaust survivors. And it was really dedicated to serving their needs on their terms. And we were able to do that. It was beautiful to see God slowly touch the hearts of each man and woman who was involved in that, each Holocaust survivor. And as I recall, none of them passed away without knowing Yeshua. So everyone had enough time. But there was one couple in particular that um, was childless. And they could not have children because of what was done to their bodies while they were in the concentration camps. But they were filled with kindness. And I remember um, immersing this woman in water. I think it was in a bathtub in her own apartment because that's the best we could do at the time. But they were so dedicated to serving the Lord. After we moved away, uh, Katishua, who, who led that ministry, let me know about something that happened with them. They, that couple started uh, an effort to feed homeless people who lived under bridges. That's what their shelter was. And they would get on the bus or take public transportation, that's all they had, and they would carry food to these people and just bring them food. And when we talked to them and said, what, why? Why are you doing this? And this was their answer. We remember how hungry we were. We were so hungry, we ate cardboard. We were so hungry, we would peel wallpaper off of the wall to eat it, to get something into our stomachs. And we haven't forgotten that. 
And for that reason, we look for people who are hungry in order to serve them. Now, you can't make people think like that. You know what causes people to think like that? It gets in their hearts. The compassion. What rises up is not cynicism that says, why didn't anybody take care of us? But a transformation when they have a living encounter with God, which says this, everything now that I could do that none had done for me, now I will try to do for them. What was a yearning, if only someone would bring me food, will now become my direction. I'll bring someone food. Like that. What a great example they were. Yaakov James puts it this way, James 1.27, he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Take care of widows and orphans. Don't be polluted by the world. And I think what that means is when we're polluted by the world, we don't even think of widows and orphans. And then I want to close with the words of Yeshua. He's Spoke these in, they're recorded in John chapter 20, verse 21. Profound words that have a lot of implication. He said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. We go to other people as human beings with our strengths, with our weaknesses, with our limitations, with our vulnerabilities. And this is incarnational ministry embodying our faith. Yeshua modeled this for us. He, he crystallized the thought, the Father sent me not just as an abstraction, not just as an idea, not just to do religious things, but he sent me to be present with you. And now I send you to be present with others. Look out for them, take care of them, watch out. Pay attention to them. Lord, I thank you that your word gives us life and that what's in your heart can become in our heart. And let it be, Lord, that we as a community want to not only live at peace with each other, but we want to bring your good news in practical and tangible ways to others in need. Open our hearts to the widows and the orphans. Open our hearts to the immigrants and to the prisoners to those who are hungry, to those who are sick, that we might spend ourselves in such a way, Lord, that it truly does show our love of God and our faithfulness to you. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Please. Thank you, Dr. Chuck. Yiverechacha and Anai, Vishmarecha. 
Ya era denai panave lacha vikunecha yisar anai panave lacha vayasem lacha shalom. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.